You're listening to The Upland Rookie, a podcast presented by Upland Brits, B Pro Kennels, Final Rise, and a Nook Shook Professional Dog Food. And on this episode, I sit down and talk with Kelly Aiken from Quantanus Irish Setters. Uh, it is one of my most favorite conversations I've had here on the podcast in a long time. Hope you enjoy. Big thanks to our title sponsor, B Pro Kennels. B Pro Kennels is a small business creating ultra high quality and custom dog boxes for the gun dog owner like you and I. No matter how big your string of dogs, B Pro Kennels will make sure you have a box that fits your needs for you and your gun dogs. With an innovative storage design and built-in solar panel and battery bank for quick access to charging accessories like dog collars, lights, fans, you name it. This is a dog box unlike anything you've seen before. Check them out at bprokennels.com. Oh, and they're made right here in the USA. This podcast is also presented to you by Final Rise. All good things start with a solid foundation. At Final Rise, all three of their premium Upland vests are built around the foundational waist belt to provide you all-day comfort and endless customization. With a secure waist belt and thin, high-quality shoulder harness, this is the vest you can load down with birds and walk all day in. Final Rise is creating high-functioning Upland gear that delivers comfort, balance, and a lifetime of memories. Check them out at finalrise.com. And this podcast is sponsored by Trinity Bretons, home of the Epignol Breton, also known as the French Brittany. All Trinity Breton dogs are from champion bloodlines that are field-tested and family-approved. For over 33 years, Trinity Bretons has worked to offer you the best-bred Epignol Breton in the country. Trinity offers puppies, the Trinity Upland Academy with George Hickox, started dogs, stud services, and a whole lot more. Check them out at trinitybertons.com. What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to the Upland Rookie Podcast. I'm your host, Will Larson, and this is episode 73. And you heard me, well, you may have heard me in the uh, little opening intro, um, kind of do a brief intro to the, this episode. And I did say, this is one of my favorite conversations I think I've had on the podcast in a long time, and I freaking mean that. Um, Kelly Aiken and I had a great, great conversation um, a couple of days ago. Um, I'm actually going be breaking this episode up into two parts. Um, I think there was a lot of um, a lot of good content, a lot of um, just richness to our conversation. Um, thought it would make for a, a little bit better, a little more digestible podcast, uh, breaking it up into two. So this will be part one of a two-part series. Um, so I'll release uh, the second part of this conversation next week. So make sure you guys stay tuned um, for the second half. Um, so, and we get into a bunch, um, a whole bunch of stuff from a little bit of, um, training, um, a little bit of <laughs> the breed of an Irish setter, um, a lot of field trial talk and really get to kind of dive deep into Kelly's story, which I think is pretty unique. Um, again, she's lived and, and experienced a lot of, um, just a lot of life with a lot of different, or a lot of bird dogs. And I think she's just, um, I love her approach to raising bird dogs, um, training them, trialing them, um, for herself, for what she wants out of a dog. And, uh, again, just really, really love this uh, conversation. So, um, anyways, I will shut up and <laughs> let you guys actually listen to the podcast. Um, one thing I wanted to dive into, um, this will be about five or so minutes. I'll, I'll dive into, um, a little bit 
um, of a new adventure I had a couple days ago. Um, just wanted to update you on a, a hunt I had um, uh, last week. And so it's, I'll just kind of recap it. Um, chased some scale quail for the first time. Uh, I've never chased scaled quail before. And um, I took a, a new guy out um, from work. He's been out a few times pheasant hunting uh, over the years. And so he's, he's chased pheasant quite a bit. Um, I've been kind of itching to, um, again, just try my, try my hand at some scaled quail. And, um, I was talking with him about it a little bit and he was down for the adventure and I said, all right, let's, uh, let's go. So we had a, uh, a day off work, um, last week and, uh, went down and, and chased some, some birds that we've never chased before. Uh, my dogs have never, uh, chased them. I guess Gage has actually, yeah, Gage was down in Arizona, um, last year. So, can't say that for Gage, but myself, Win Mac, it's all a new adventure for us. And so, um, I mean, just some, I, I guess, some learnings. I mean, um, we we went to a, an area we've never been to. Uh, I've never been to this part um, of the state before. And there was a lot of land. Um, it, it was a little overwhelming, to be honest. There was so much land that you really... In hindsight, I probably should have spent even more time doing some pre-mapping um, with Onyx before I went down there. Um, I, I downloaded the maps prior to the hunt, and so you know I had had everything accessible offline, which was good. Um, but again, I should have spent probably more time just um, looking for certain uh, train features uh, in the country because there was just so much of it. And so um, that was something I kind of walked away with going, you know what, I probably could have did a better job of, um, you know, getting a little more granular with, uh, targeting some certain areas. I kind of thought, well, I'm just going to go get my eyes on it, walk it, which is what you need to do. Sometimes you need to just get your eyes on there, start walking and you're going to, you're going to kind of figure some things out. And so, um, first couple fields, uh, I guess not even fields, it's just against this open, open mass country grasslands. And so first couple of walks we did, um, the first one, I'm going to be honest, it, I wasn't confident, but <laughs> we were in the truck for so long. I said, you know what? Let's just get the dogs down, go for a walk and see what we find. Um, so again, I was, I was a little bit into the walk and I was like, this is not it. <laughs> like this is everything I've, I've heard and read about scaled quail. I said, this is not where we need to be. We finished the walk. It wasn't too long. Got back to the truck, um, drove around a little more. And again, just started looking for um, a little bit thicker, um, a little bit thicker, more structured terrain, I guess. Um, a little bit more grass, obviously looking for water, um, all those kinds of things. So as the day progressed, we definitely got, I feel closer to what, you know, scale, scaled quail country might be. Um, again, this is new for me. I haven't done it before. Um, had a guy with me who was brand new as well uh, to this. Um, so I feel with every walk we took, um, it, it got better. We got closer to what we were actually looking for. We finally got into the Choya. Um, and once we did, that kind of started to click a little bit. But okay, this this looks better. This looks like more, you know, scaled quail habitat. Um, I mean, so it was fun. We put so many freaking miles on. Um, it was a long drive that day, um, but we walked our freaking butts off. Um, hunt until dark. Gage, I think this GPS uh, read 31 miles. <laughs> he covered that day. Uh, Wind did just a little shy of that. Mac did. I forget what his was. This might have been like 12 miles. A 10, I think. I think it was like 10 miles. But um, 
so they were beat. I mean, they were beat up. Um, we didn't run into too much um, cactus and pokey stuff in their paws. Um, Wing got into it a little bit um, towards the end. But, I mean, they ran hard. They, they covered ground, which I was happy with. Um, it was really nice just to let them get out there. I could see them range forever. Um, so that was really nice to see um, them just kind of cover some country. Um, stretch their legs and again put on some miles and so um they i'll say they slept well that night <laughs> oh i think we all did um once we got home late um but man it was it was fun it was fun seeing new area um of the country and um it was a beautiful landscape um you know again got to watch the dogs we did not come across a covey uh, which was a bummer i mean it's always going to be that that trade-off when you try something new um you think you did your homework. You think, you know, it looks right. Um, sometimes it doesn't, it doesn't, um, pay off. And that's, that's so hunting is you're going to have days that, um, are going to be banner days. <laughs> you're going to, you're going to get into the birds heavy and you're gonna have great dog work. And it's all going to come together, but there's going to be some days, um, that you have a bust. I mean, you don't, you don't find a bird. Um, and so, it, uh, it happens. It's okay. You know what it, you know, trying to like get, try not to let it discourage you. I guess what I would say, um, you know, for me, it was, it was nice going with another buddy, you know, it makes the drive shorter, uh, a little bit easier when you're with someone going on a, a long, uh, one day trip. And so, um, so all that to say, um, scaled quail, I will be back at them next year for sure. Um, obviously would love to get down to Arizona someday, but, uh, don't think it's going to happen this year. Um, so anyways, uh, don't, don't be discouraged on hunts like that. You're it's not always going to, come together but um but, you know i was glad i was able to say you know at least i tried i learned something the dogs i hope learned something as well um so that was my my scaled quail trip of 2000 i guess we're in 23 now so um but of the 2022-23 season so anyways um hey i hope everyone's doing well i'm gonna wrap this segment up and we're gonna get to the interview here um you know i know some of us got a few more weeks left to go for uh, hunting. And so if you guys are out there uh, hitting it hard, make sure to tag the, the podcast. I'd love to uh, love to reshort, reshare some of those you know photos, experiences that you are having out in the field uh, with your dogs, with your family, friends, whoever it might be. And so uh, keep tagging the Upland Rookie Podcast, Instagram, Facebook, all that good stuff. And um, yeah, don't forget to leave a rating and review if you could. Um, this greatly would help the podcast grow and get out there to more hunters, uh, more bird dogs lovers just like you and so anyways guys we're gonna dive into part one of the interview with kelly aiken so are you uh so you're kind of living on the road now aren't you you're you you sold the house you're just traveling all the time we sold our house and we are full-time RVers. Well, and I mean, not exactly RVers. It's a horse trailer with living quarters. So um, it's a little different than I mean, a typical RV. Yeah, but it look, I mean, it looks nice though, right? I mean, how's it, oh, how's it been it so is, far? Um, we are both still alive and still married. So that's, that's winning right there. That's half the battle. That's <laughs> um, awesome. It's, it's going well though. We are enjoying it and it's been really flexible, which is what we really wanted with this situation. So yeah. I'll take that as a win. Absolutely. I know you posted a photo of the, the horse trailer. Is it like a, like half, the front half is like the horse storage area and then the back half or like the living quarters or how's that, how's that work? The the front half is the living quarters. It's 18 okay. feet of living quarters. Um, okay. And then the, then there's like a little, what I call kind of a mudroom, but it's a mid tack behind that. And then the back half is the horse area slash dog room. So okay. 
um, yeah, yeah dog room as well. That's awesome. You know, sort of, yeah. It's <laughs> it's, a, we, it's a, kind of a makeshift. You know, yeah. we do the best we can with what we have situation. Yeah. So. That's so cool. That's so cool. Well, I mean, that, again, that's that's uh, a win right there. Again, you're still married. You're alive. It's you know, I mean, can't get better than that. <laughs> we will take the wins where we get them. <laughs> Keep the well, bar I, low. <laughs> yeah, you have to. You have to. Um, I mean, this, this might be a good segue. I know we'll touch on it, it later, probably uh, as well. But what what led you to just kind of go on the road? Uh, you know, sell the house, get the trailer, and and start traveling around. Well, the house that we were living in, um, which my husband bought before he met me, um, was is not wasn't ideal for the kind of lifestyle we lived. I mean, between the horses and the dogs, um, I was living in the we were living in the middle of the city, um, and our neighbors really liked our dogs and everything, but it just wasn't, you know, wasn't the best situation. And the worst thing is, is my husband's OCD, and so we'd come home from something, and his lawn had to look as good or better than everybody else's. So <laughs> it just got really, with the amount of traveling we did, it got to be sure. so much work to keep up on the homestead and have that curb appeal, so we didn't, you know, cause any issues for living sure. the way we did where we lived. So, yeah. um, you know, and we we were spending eight months of the year on the road. Um, oh, wow. or seven or eight months. And it's like, why, why are we paying for a house that we live in for four or five months a year yeah. when we could be, you know, living wherever we want, whenever we want. So <laughs> exactly. That's good. We're, I'm just curious, were you in like an HOA situation where you lived? No, no, we weren't. Okay. And okay. I mean, that would have been impossible, I suspect. Yeah. Um, it, but it, you know, it was a, it's just a, it was a, a good sized city yeah. and, um, you know, there, it was just, um, some neighbors, when we'd pull, like a, before a trip, we'd back the horse trailer down the, the road and into the driveway. And some neighbors would be just in shock um, <laughs> and roll their eyes at us. And some neighbors are, are always cheering us on, you know, the good yeah, neighbors yeah. are always you cheering us on mix. and saying, you guys are so amazing. And, you know, <laughs> this and that. So it was quite entertaining. That's <laughs> and the, the reason I ask that is, is we're at South, like South Denver and we're an HOA and it's it's hard, you know. I have yep. to have like secret dog runs in the backyard and we have chickens right. and all this stuff. And so yeah. Um, yeah. hopefully no one from my HOA is listening to this, but. <laughs> <laughs> if so, Will Larson. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> Wasn't me. It's a different, different guy. Different yeah. Guy. Yep. <laughs> um, well, Kelly, um, uh, let's back up just a, a touch here. Um, let's do some introductions. Can you just uh, tell us uh, um, who you are and maybe a little bit about yourself? Um, sure. and then go ahead and put, put the listeners on the map where, where are you chatting to us from? Okay. I am, um, Kelly Aiken. I have Quantanus Irish setters. Um, I have been bird dogging for about 12 or 13 years now. Um, and currently I'm talking to you from just outside Manhattan, Kansas. Um, this is a temporary holdover and we're about to start a big trip that'll hit us along the East coast and then down South for the rest of the early spring season. Wow. Very fun. That's gotta be a, a cool, um, that's gotta be just be an awesome experience. Uh, lifestyle right now just to be able to kind of map your journey out and be like hey we're gonna go to the east coast for a little while and then go south and that's gonna be pretty pretty cool yeah my husband really enjoys doing the mapping and kind of looking at the routes and and all that and um planning ahead is his forte and i 
and more so the one that's like, well, maybe tomorrow we'll go here. And um, so it's that's the challenging part for us, but we we make it work. And, um, you know, we, we have we're having a lot of fun with it. We're trying yeah. to have fun with it. Um, there's its challenges for sure, like fuel prices. But <laughs> oh, um, sure. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, we're, we're still really enjoying it. And I think we have a lot of um, traveling um, ahead of us yeah. um, for good reasons. That's so cool. Is all your travel or, or majority of your travel, so like, you know, for example, the East Coast trip and heading south, is that all for dog hunting, trial, horse related things? <laughs> Yes. Yep. Okay. Everything we do is, I mean, I will say there's exceptions like um, for visiting a family member or something like his family or my family. Um, but 95% of our travel is, is animal related. Yeah. Um, we're either going somewhere to go train dogs, um, or go run dogs, go purchase a horse, go um, compete in a field trial, whatever it is. Sure. Um, you know, that's what we do. That's that's the focus, yeah. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Well, well, let's let's back up even a little bit further into your story, um, Kelly. Would you mind, you know, sharing with me what what started you down this path? Like, like, were you in a hunting dog horse family who who did this, or what was your journey getting into the bird dog and and trial and all that world? Um, I was born into dogs, purebred dogs. Um, but not, I, I didn't, don't have any family members who ever hunted. Um, and they certainly didn't do any kind of field trials or hunting competitions, hunt tests, anything like that. But the sport of purebred dogs, um, you know, I was kind of raised in, in dog shows. So um, that's kind of where I started off. And um, I just have slowly transitioned from that to, um, you know, I found my breed. Irish setters identified as like that was what I wanted. Um, and then from there, I showed those for years and years. And then I've transitioned into um, from that into, um, you know, the field trials and hunting, lots of hunting. Well, usually. Mm. So, um, <laughs> you know, it's just been this slow transition with um, zero background, no history in it prior to dabbling my toe, you know, dabbing my toes in the water, or dipping my toes in the water. Sorry, that's how that saying goes. Yeah, yeah. So, dabbling, dipping, it's all the same. I yeah, you. same, same, whatever. <laughs> Um, so real quick before we go on with that, um, purebred dogs that your family was involved in, were they like sporting dogs at all or just show dog? Like what, what <laughs> no, breed? No, German Shepherds and okay. Papillons. So, okay. you know, a herding breed and a toy breed. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I was, when I was seven years old or so, I went to a dog show and, um, I walked up to the screaming table and there was this Irish setter standing on it. And I said, that's the, I really like your dog. Like, this is the mm. dog I want. Wow. And, um, every dog show I went to, I would find that lady with that dog. And next thing <laughs> you know, she became my mentor. I mean, she raised me in Irish setters oh, wow. and taught me everything I, you know, have come to know for the breed perspective and for, you know, the grooming and the genetics and health testing and wow. stuff. So she's really kind of my, my mentor when it comes to Irish setters. So, so, so you were young when you, when you figured out the Irish setter was your dog. Yeah, absolutely. Just from laying eyes on it. Just a wee little thing. Wow. That's cool. Well, we'll get into that. I know a lot more here in a little bit. Um, Go ahead and continue on your story a little bit. So, so you, again, you weren't raised in a hunting family. Like then what was that turning point for you that got into the sporting dog world and and all that? Like what was that? Yeah. What was that tipping point that just put you Um, over the edge down this path? I had two Irish setters um, from my mentor and I um, was going on my second deployment um, to Iraq 
And I decided that while I was deployed, my dog should be doing something productive. So I decided to send him to a field trainer and um, just so they could go do something and learn about things while I was over doing things. So, um, so they went to a field trainer and while I was overseas, I started reading the hunt test rule, you know, AKC hunt test rule books. Um, And I was like, Oh, that might be fun, you know, whatever, whatever. Well, then I started to read about field trials and I realized that, well, I'm a competitive person. So I was like, you know, that now not only do I want to do hunt tests, but I really want to go win first place. Like I want to beat other people. I don't just want to be good enough. I want to beat other people. So that kind of was my progression into field trials. Um, You know, but really I just started off by wanting to give my dogs a job while I was overseas. And I thought, Oh, Mm -hmm. maybe I'll hunt a little bit with them, but now it's much bigger than that. So, so, so you know, when you picked the, when you picked them up, did you kind of have an idea? Maybe you would hunt with them someday. But yeah, absolutely. That... Like after okay. I picked them up, um, when they were with the trainer, I was like, you know, um, I'll probably run them in a hunt test, um, or a couple hunt tests, see if I can progress them. And and um, also I, you know, I live in bird country, so I was like, yeah, you know, obviously I'm going to take them hunting, try to find birds. Sure. Um, and I'll never forget the day I shot my first wild bird over my female, and um, you know, that was it was such an emotional, mm. um, huge moment for me. So that was sure. you know the fire. <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. So, so I guess would it, did trials come before hunting, or hunting come before trials for you? Um, I think the intent to hunt came before trials for me. Okay. Um, you know, I was I knew that I wanted to um, hunt, and those two dogs weren't necessarily field trial quality dogs. Um, okay. I wanted to be finding wild birds, and you know, I've never been one to shoot a lot of you know shoot tons of birds. I really like fine tuning my dogs, finding birds, Mm. you know, helping them develop and so on and so forth. So definitely the hunting first and the trials came when I realized that there was a competitive aspect to this. Yeah. Then, yeah. Then you're like, all right, let's go, let's go beat someone. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) That's all the fire you needed. (laughs) Yep. Yep. That was it. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, so how'd you navigate this, this world again, that's growing growing up in a hunting family. Um, I know you had the had the mentor who kind of got you into the the breed, but then then you're all right. You're figuring out the trial world. You're figuring out the hunting world. Like, what was that? Um, what was that experience like? Like figuring all that out on your own. Um, I think it was it was kind of um, part of the the joy of the journey. I had a friend in Canada who had um, invited me up to to go to, you know, to spend some time with her at the end of my time in the army. So it was kind of my Canadian sabbatical. Well, we ended up going to some dog shows, um, in Washington. And then we progressed down to California and hit a field trial circuit down there. And I grew up riding horses. So that was easy enough for me. Um, and I had been to a couple, like, you know, one or two, three, four, whatever, small number of field trials, but that really showed me um, kind of where, what I could be doing and where I could be doing it. And I had done some walking field trials and stuff, but, um, this really pushed me to progress into horseback field trials. So, um, you know, that, that was really the progression I met who's now my field trial mentor and, um, Trina Cardwell from, she's out in Washington and she has literally taught me, 95% 95% of what I know. So, um, you know, I, I got myself a couple, a person that inspired me and a mentor for the field world. And, mm. um, you know, I just really have set myself up to learn everything I can. Yeah. 
That's that's so cool. I mean, yeah, there. I mean, you know, there's so much to there's so much to take in and and you know learn. You know, from the dog side, from the competition side, from the mm-hmm. hunting side. Like it, you know, it can be a little overwhelming. I know, you know. I look back at my journey starting out, like it was so overwhelming, like getting into that and learning all the things that they're. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's kind of like... crazy that you feel overwhelmed because and you're like, you know, do I know what I think I know? Am I sure that I know these things? And, you know, is this, how do I know? You think you know what a good dog is and then you're watching yeah. others people's, other people's dogs and, and you start you second to guess. see. Yeah, you start, well, you start to see you start off in the game and you're watching dogs and you're like, Oh, I'd put that dog up and you watch judges put other dogs up. And it's funny how over the years, my brain and and my eye have changed and I've started Mm -hmm. to learn about what, what they were saying and why those people, you know, so we just, we grow. And that's kind of been the joy of it is, um, you know, starting off as somebody who knew nothing and um, watching as much as I can and picking brains and listening. And it's amazing what you can um, discover, you know, start to learn for yourself. So that's been a fun, fun thing to do for me. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, so with the field trial, have you been able to, you say you have a mentor in the field trial kind of game right now? Yeah, I do. What has that experience been like for you over the years? Um, I think, well, the first thing is uh, it's been a female, so it's kind of been interesting because there's not a whole lot of professional female field trialers out there. Um, but so it's been good because it's helped me realize that I have to maintain, um, you know, I really want to be taken seriously. Um, this person is taken very seriously. She's, you know, competitive and, and sportsmanlike and so on and so forth. Um, She's not seen as overly nice, but um, but she, you know, she's the kind of person that will give you what you know, do anything to help somebody who needs the help in order to progress in their, um, you know, in their abilities. So um, I want, you know, I've seen this person take care of people and help people, and it makes me realize that I want to you know, know as much as I know, like she, you know, from her, but I also want to be like her, um, and emulate that sportsmanlike conduct and, mm. um, the caring for others and the helping others when, when they need it. Um, mm. so it's, it's been great for me to have a mentor who, um, is, is just got one of the best hearts yeah. and, you know, hard worker, quiet, doing their own, you know, doing the thing, however they do it. Um, sure. you know, there's, there's a lot of people that sell themselves online in a certain way and, and, you know, and, and push their programs because it's, sure. you know, and they're probably successful, but this sure. is a person that's kind of behind the, you know, doing their own thing. They're not pushing themselves on social media yeah. and they're finding success in their own way. So it's like they're doing um, it for them and their dogs. Like they're not worried yes, about, yeah. And not so much because they want people to flock to them or they don't want to, you know, they're not trying to um, build their following. They're trying to do their clients, um, you know, what they deserve and, and how, do, how would I say it? They're trying, they're trying to do right by their clients and their dogs. Sure. Um, and that's, that's far more significant and very important to me. Um, yeah. so, you know, I just, I, I try to emulate the people that I like and appreciate and respect and, and yeah. my mentor is the, the highest of that for me. That's so cool. That's so cool. Um, can I ask you, you know, with, with, you know, you showing up to field trials, um, has it ever been, again, being a woman, has it ever been intimidating to you to show up to field trials or has it been challenging in any ways? Again, 
field trials, again, a lot of dudes in field trials. What's yes. that experience been like for you? Um, well, two two things kind of stand out. First is, um, has it ever been intimidating or whatnot? I think um, not so much intimidating, but you, you get attention. Like I, I got attention and they're like, oh, it's a, a pretty girl on a pretty horse. And I'm, I'm just, you know, I, I appreciate a compliment. That's great. But, <laughs> um, you know, it's not like. I want my pretty dog to kick your pretty butt. Like that's <laughs> that's what I want. I don't, you know, like go ahead and think I'm just, an, you know, some cute girl that's going to show up and 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 you know just en- enter her dog and and contribute to your field trials. Um, really, I'm there to be competitive, and you know, I don't, I'm not going to try to tell them that. But what I'm going to try to do is keep showing up and and start pushing my way in and it's it's done well sure. for me i've started to you know people know who i am and they know my dogs aren't a joke when i show up and and i'm not just there sure. to um, boost the number of entries i'm there because um you know because i take this seriously and i work really really hard um so that's kind of one aspect of being a female and the second aspect is um i've started to judge um more and more mm. and okay Recently, well, I guess a year or two or a short while ago, um, I judged something and it was my first big um, uh, second. uh, It was one of my first big championships and um, I was treated differently than um, a male counterpart who is my judging partner. And um, Hmm. that was frustrating. Um, So it's just that's really kind of affected the way I, um, the one, the assignments, the judging assignments I take and two, the way I conduct myself at a, at a field trial when I'm judging, mm. um, you know, it just, there, there should never be a difference in the way I'm treated versus the way, um, my counterparts treated because they have male, you know, they're male and I'm not. So, um, and this came down to, I was, you know, it just, it just should never happen. I shouldn't be treated, sure. um, addressed differently. So, um, that's kind of been a side effect, you know, something I've had to deal with. And a lot of females who are, um, you know, doing this have had to deal with. So it's, it's something that I'd like to see change, but all I can do is continue to show up and continue to, um, conduct myself in a professional manner. You know, we're going to make mistakes. Like I've made mistakes as, as a judge, um, or as a competitor, it's, it's what I do. You know, it's it's what happens. Right. We're human. We can make mistakes, but, um, you know, we try to go forth and do the right thing going forward after, you know, get better from those yeah. mistakes. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, I and mean, like you said, all you can do is, is keep showing up. And I, I was going to add, keep kicking their asses and <laughs> with your dogs. <laughs> yeah, try not, try not to push that too hard. You know, I don't, I, yeah. I don't want to jinx myself. I really no, no, don't. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Oh, it's, it's got to keep the, uh, it's got to keep the fire lit though. I'm sure just, I, I don't know. Again, the competitive side, I think probably takes over, you know, and, and does it give you more fire or like more fuel to like keep keep getting better, keep working harder? Yeah, it it does. It pushes me, um, you know, and and it makes the when I am successful, it makes it that much better, mm. um, you know. And and honestly, some of the people that have been negative to me or been pushy or been you know unprofessional, if sure. anything, I I feel like a, a handful of those people. In, from my past, I've earned the respect. I've gone on to earn mm. the respect. So sure. that's really the win for me is 
for them to treat me equally now and with respect yeah. now, as opposed to, you know, I can, I can forgive them for not being, sure. you know, the kind of person I'd want early on. So, sure. but I have earned the respect and, and I just wish it would have been sooner and not later. Right. Like you wish it wouldn't have had to take X amount of time to get right. there. Like I, know, I shouldn't have wish. had to win this, this and that. And, right. um, and, and be asked to judge this or that in order for you right. to think, Hey, maybe you're not, you know, you're not yeah. mediocre and you're not just some woman who's, you know, hanging around because there's lots of men here. Like that's right. not right. why I'm here. <laughs> exactly. Are, are you seeing more, more women, uh, in field trials? Uh, and you're probably doing tons of trials across the country. Is, is that something you're seeing more of or not really? Well, I don't think because I've only been doing it for, you know, a dozen years or so, I don't think that I'm a fair, um, someone who can fairly analyze that because in the time that I've been doing it, I would like to say that I've seen equal, like a, a, a level, um, how am I, I'm sorry. Um, I've probably like, I haven't seen a change in the number of women attending. It's been the same Um, since you entered. Yeah. For me personally, from what I'm seeing, um, and I, I don't think our sport is growing per se. We're, you know, we're kind of a dying breed, but I would like to say that, um, I don't, I don't think there's been much change. I feel like we've, I've seen more successful females as the years have gone on. Hmm. Um, I've seen women do bigger and better things. Um, but I don't think the number has changed. Hmm. I just think we've gotten better. Sure. (laughs) Nice. That's awesome. Um, I want to touch on what you said just a second ago about kind of a dying sport a little bit. Mm -hmm. Like I've heard that toss around all like for years, ever since I've been doing this, um, you know, different events I've gone to people, they always struggle to get entries and you know, this and that. I mean, again, in your opinion, like, why is that? Do you have any thoughts? Like, cause it's so freaking fun. It's so fun right. to compete with your dog, to, to have a goal with your dog and to work on something to enter these trials. Um, again, whether the horseback or walking, I know horseback can be, you know, somewhat of a, a barrier for some people, but do you have any thoughts on that? Um, I think, I think a lot of it, it has to do with, um, you know, the reason I got into field trialing was because I wanted to start hunting with my dogs. And I feel like, you know, the numbers, the bird numbers really is, as cliche as it is, I feel like the bird numbers are affecting the desire of people to get into hunting or to Mm. continue hunting and spend their money on their dogs and going out there, Um, you know, and so as we see a decline in the wild bird population or, um, you know, moderate mediocre numbers, people aren't going to continue to want to um, push, you know, going out with their dogs. And therefore you're not going to get the ability to grow your sport because you're not Mm -hmm. having the foundation of that sport, which is hunt, you know, wild bird hunting Um, with that decline, you're going to have less of a pool to draw from to Mm -hmm. get into field trialing. So it's kind of, you know, the, the, um, the side effect of the sport of hunting um, yeah. being so challenged. And, you know, it's people, we, we do, you know, we say we, we see an increase in the number of hunters here or there, you know, or the number of licenses being sure. purchased, so on and so forth. But, um, you know, if that were the case, I think that um, it, we would see the ability to grow the sport more, but mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's you know between uh, well, the lack you wouldn't of wild have, birds. Yeah, and you because you wouldn't have field trials if it wasn't for bird dogs and hunting. 
absolutely. Right? Like, like field the, trials come is... from hunting. And yes. so like you're saying, like yep. that's like the top of the funnel. And then <laughs> the cart before the horse. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Exactly. That makes total sense. So, and, oh. and I think between that and then the cost, you know, the, sure. the increase in, in costs of everything, you know, we didn't yeah. always have this living quarters horse trailer. I was in a, um, a U-Haul truck pulling a friend's <laughs> bumper pull horse trailer oh, to no a trial because I wanted to go and not because I had everything I needed, you know, and I sure. parked next to the big living quarter trailers and RVs, yeah. um, you know, and people are intimidated. They think that they have to drop, to, you mm. know, $150,000 to be competitive. Well, that, you know, yes, we have a big trailer now, but that's because I've, you know, this is my life, but well, and you I've sold been your beaten by people with, too. right, right. <laughs> I've been beaten by people who show a, up yeah. in, a, in a little SUV with their one dog and borrow someone else's horses. Like it's, it's yeah. possible and it happens a lot. Um, you yeah. know, it's just, you don't have to have the biggest and the best in order to, for your dogs to be competitive. And, mm. and it's hard for people to understand that or, or believe in that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like a hard thing for them to overcome that. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, like I know I can think of a handful of people who have beat me in the last year who have, you know, a truck with one dog and they borrow someone's horse. Like it's, it's, it happens and it's awesome. Like I'm very, very excited for those people and I want nothing more than them to find success. So they keep pushing forward. Yeah. So that's, that's awesome. And that's even like hunting too. It's like people, you know, won't, start hunting because, Oh, I don't have that gun or I don't have this piece of equipment or something. It's like uh, so many guests I've I've had on this show have shared, like my last question I always ask, I'm like, what what piece of advice would you share with, you know, a new hunter out there? And so many guests I've shared, like, just go, even if you don't have all the things you think you need, just go, just get out there, walk, experience, you know, things for yourself. And I I don't think that could be any more true. Right. Exactly. You know, just there's, what do you have to lose? And what's more exciting than finding your first, well, for me, it'd be Covey, first Covey with your first bird dog. Mm -hmm. Um, Whether or not you're carrying a gun, it doesn't matter. Um, The dog, if they find birds, that's going to be the best day of their life. You know, yeah. that's <laughs> until they find their next one. And then that's the best day of their life. You know, every, exactly. it's just, it's too cool to see these dogs progress. Um, you know, and, and that's, that's what they were bred to do. Well, you couldn't be, have any reason to be more proud of your dog in that, you know, than that yeah. moment. Yeah, so. absolutely. Well, since we're on the field trial side of things right now, we're just going to con- continue that road and then we'll loop back to some other, other things I had for you, uh, more about your dogs and all that. But, um, Talk a little bit more about um, the the horse side of, of the field trials. Are you primarily running horseback trials or are you doing any walking trials still with your dogs or... I um I do primarily horseback field trials. I do do the occasional walking field trial, um, especially if it's a bigger walking field trial or championship, or if it's just like in route to somewhere I'm heading and there happens to be a walking field trial. I'm happy to go compete. You know, it's kind of, um, you know, and it's kind of fun for me. I mean, I hunt my dogs enough. They should adjust a bit and, and hunt and work the ground a different way than if I was on a horse. So, um, yeah, I do compete in the walking trials. I was lucky enough to win, um, this year's Irish setter walking national championship. And, um, I also won it last year. So oh, um, right I've on. been, I've had, you know, a good, good couple, uh, my last couple walking trials have yeah. been very successful for me. So that's incredible. Um, wow. 
Yeah. Zero well, hate against the walking sport. Yeah. I will do that any yeah. day. <laughs> That's super cool. Well, your dogs, again, um, I'm asking you to help educate me a little bit and also the listeners. Mm-hmm. Are, are horseback trials generally that the dogs are going to range out further than a walking trial? You'd, you'd hope so. Oh, um, hope, that okay. would be the goal. Okay. And, and will your dogs transition between that pretty easily? Like they know the game well enough to know, all right, we're, we're doing the horseback side or we're doing the walking trial or even hunting really. Yeah. It's, it's amazing when, um, you know, I'm on a horse and my horse and my dogs are ranging, you know, three, 400 yards and some of their casts are really, you know, sometimes they'll have moments where they go even bigger. Um, and then, I turn around and I ha- I'm carrying a gun this this week. I've kind of dedicated to hunting the entire week. Um, and my dogs are ranging on average maybe one to 200 yards. Um, mm. And reason, my, my best dog, she'll, she'll make bigger casts and she'll go sure. reach um, three, 400 yards to find birds if, if that's what it takes. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it, they know the difference. They're not... Yeah. You know, if they, if they didn't know the difference, then they would have no business being one of my dogs, um, and they'd have sure. no they they would you know it, it they have you have to give them credit. They have to be smart enough to know the difference. Yeah. Um, because they're you know if they can remember what it means to be a broke dog, um, then they can remember what it means to for me to be carrying a gun. You know, sure. They know there's going to be. Birds they need to have that level of intelligence. Yeah, they need to have Absolutely. that level of intelligence to it, to know the yeah. game. And if they don't, then we shouldn't be breeding them. So sure. they it's should. Like, they should be spayed, I love you, sleeping but... on someone's couch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I was going to ask you. You said something. Oh, so will you will you intermix? So like, if you're let's say you trialed last week, or you have a trial coming up, will you hunt your dog still, kind of back and forth, or will you dedicate? Like, hey, we're we're in trial season. We're not going to hunt. And then we'll, and then we'll go hunting or again, do, do the dogs know well enough that they can bounce between pretty easily? So they should know well enough. I am um, very careful with my green broker first year dogs. When I've just broke them out, I'm going to be really careful about shooting birds over them and making sure they stand broke through the entire process. Um, my older dog reason she'll, you know, when I'm hunting and I shoot a bird, she's usually going to break at the shot to go retrieve it. But she knows the difference when I'm carrying a blank gun and when, when I'm carrying a shotgun and she knows that when we're at a field trial, she needs to stand broke through the shot. And Hey hey, Kelly, can you, so sorry, you broke up that that, uh, portion. Can you go back to the part you said when you have a a young broke dog or a green broke dog? Okay. From there. when I have a green broke or first year dog, they have to, um, you know, I have to be very careful when I'm shooting a bird for them. They need to stay broke through the entire process. Um, whereas a dog, a seasoned dog like Reason, who's eight years old now, when I'm hunting and carrying a gun, she's going to break at the shot to go retrieve the bird. When I'm on a horse or carrying just a blank gun, she is going to stay broke through the shot um, Hmm. because she knows the difference. So um, yes, you know, I transition those dogs and I will hunt during field trial season, but I'm, I just have to make sure I keep on top of their manners, especially with those first year dogs. Yeah. No, that makes total sense. Uh, that's, that's cool. And the reason I asked, I, I've, I've heard some other people that I've met at trials or, or different people saying they'll, they'll just kind of keep their dogs. Like, if, like they'll do trial season f- first section of the fall and then they'll do all their hunting at the end of the fall. 
because they want to keep them broke or whatever. So yeah, but curious. I think some of the best hunting there is is early season chickens and right, you know, and that kind sharp of stuff. So September, and, and right. that's the thing, so like, people don't hunt sharp tails. <laughs> like, come on. Um, we spend summer camp you know, working chickens and sharp tails. So, you know, my dogs have a lot of experience on those two species. Um, and so to be able to turn around when season opens and shoot, you know, shoot one for them, that's exciting. But they're also, you know, they spend their entire summer gearing up for those moments. So, um, sure. you know, the the hunting early season and then going to field trials is what we do. So they, yeah. they, they have to do it, but I'm going to make them do it right um, for those younger dogs. So that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the horse side of things with the trials. Um, so like a, a gated horse, for example, again, I, mm-hmm. I've heard this from other people. I know even on your Instagram profile, <laughs> this is gated horses. Yeah. Um, talk about what is a gated horse? Why is that important? Why is it not important? Tell us a little bit more about that for field trials. So for field trials, you know, we're riding along at, at a um, at a certain pace and for a gated horse, that is called that we're usually at a, a you should be anywhere you're looking usually at a flat walk, but really um, sometimes we get into a little bit faster than a flat walk or a running walk even. Um, for a gated horse, that's a running walk and it feels like um, glass. I mean, a good hmm. gated horse should be very, very smooth. Um, you know, it's not going to take any effort for you to be, stay comfortable while you're riding for long periods of time. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas a normal, you know, a, a standard horse, like a quarter horse or a thoroughbred or Arabian, to keep that speed up, let's say the speed is, I don't know, 10 miles an hour, they're going to break into a trot. And for mm-hmm. humans, when in a trot, one, you're either going to sit there and bounce and it's going to be awful for the entire time, or you're going to post and your thighs and buttocks are going to be killing you. So, you know, the difference is, is that it just comes down to human comfort. And in, I, um, you know, some people like the challenge of posting for two, three, four, six hours a day and good for them. They're awesome and very, posting, very fit. Posting yeah. meaning. Um, it, it's a way to avoid the bounce of the trot. So you're like sitting, oh, okay, you're, okay. you're basically raising your body up every other step of the horse. Oh, wow. And so, um, you know, you're using those Ab thighs to raise right and there. lower. Yes. Yep. Th- raise and lower. And Jeez. so it's not bumpy for you, but you're, you're responsible. Just one sec. No, you're good. Sorry. My, they all think they need a drink of water right now. And I'm sure you can hear it on the mic. So, um, <laughs> no, no, I, I can't, I can't, we're good. <laughs> okay. So, um, anyways, at 38 and 52 seconds, if you wanted to resume, that'd be great. No, no. <laughs> but, <laughs> so the, the standard horses, it's just a lot of bouncing or a lot of effort from the human to be comfortable. So that's why gated okay. horses are preferred for the sport. They're not mandatory. Um, I've right. seen people use, um, trotting horses and I've used a, a quarter horse mix, um, early on when I needed more than one horse and I only had one gated horse. So, okay. um, you know, but it's a lot of work. It's very wow. different. So it's really just the, the, it's for comfort, but it's, it's the way the horse will trot really. It's just smoother than other horse. Like, yes. Is, it just, yeah, it's, is there it's, the way they're built or is it Have you ever just... seen the speed walking, um, like in the Olympics, like the speed walking event? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. So those speed walkers or those power walkers or whatever they're yeah. called, think about that verse, like a marathon runner and their slow jog. Okay. Like okay. the speed walker is keeping a really good pace. Yeah. Um, 
it's just much smoother than somebody who's like jogging and running and bounce, you know, that wow. bounce of the jog yeah, yeah. Is, okay. is, that's how I would compare it. Uh, and it's and a, that's not training. Extended, that's, that's how they. It's genetic. That's, that's genetic. Wow. Yep. That's so that's that's how I would describe the differences. You know, you got a jogger and you have a speedwalker, yeah. and that speedwalker is just using those hips differently, and and um, it's sm- a smoother gait. They should glide as opposed to yeah. a jogger who's you know bouncing up and down as they go. So. Yeah, that's crazy. So so I've only been on a gated horse, and so I don't have anything to compare it to. It, yeah. It was, Good experience. I mean, I was sore the next day, but um, right. <laughs> but I, I'd be curious to to see what that would feel like because again, it, it, only being on a gated horse, I was like, oh, this is this is good. <laughs> so yeah, right. Like, oh, okay, if this is what yeah. I'm supposed to do, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's um, you would be much more sore if you were okay. not on a okay. gated horse. That's that's the best well, way I can put put it for you. I, I may have undersold that. I could hardly walk the next day. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> just be muscles real. you never knew Let's you just had. Be right? real. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, how many horses does, would someone need? Uh, again, that's probably going to depend on how much you're trialing, how, you know, how many events you're doing a, a year or a month or whatever, but like mm-hmm. someone have, can they have just one horse and do, you know, a couple Absolutely. trials a month? Okay. I, I, I know, you know, friends of mine and even I started off with just one horse, um, you know, and, and the thing is, is that you just have to manage how much you're riding it. Um, if they're in good shape, you can ride them for, you know, three or four hours a day at a field trial and they, they could be okay for two or three days. Um, you know, the average horse can take that as long as they're in shape going into it. So, um, if they're not, you're looking at, you know, two, three hours, um, and then they might not, you know, they might be too sore for the next day. So you just got to make sure your horse is in shape. Um, and you can do a, a full field trial weekend, um, and ride a good number of races every day and see a lot of the the field trial and be fine. Okay. I'm guessing if you're judging, is that because the judge will be out pretty much all day, right? Yeah. Judge, judges could be out for, um, I mean, there's sometimes that I've judged and I've judged five straight days and you're talking six hours of judging a day plus the intermittent time. So you could be riding, you could be on a horse for eight hours a day. So at that point, I'm going to want at least two horses. So each horse has a half a day. Yep. And so I ride one horse in the morning, one horse in the afternoon, and it's ideal to have a third horse. So I can have Mm. a, they can have 24 hours off between their, or two, you know, two half days off. Yep. So that really lets, that's the ideal situation when you're judging. Okay. Um, Could you talk a little bit about, um, again, the introduction with, with bird dogs to a horse? Um, like, Like, what's that process like when you have a young bird dog? Like, when are you introducing them to the horse? How, how does that go for you in, in what you've done with your dogs? Um, so, you know, we're starting off with regular puppy walks with just us and our puppies. So they know that where we go and when I call to them, they should kind of be looking for me and going, you know, going and being an explorer. So when I'm transitioning, those dogs are usually four months old, five, you know, four or five months old is when I'm going to get on a horse and I'm going to talk to them the same way that I'm talking to them, you know, on the ground, except I'm on the horse and it might take them, you know, a couple minutes to realize, Oh, that big thing is now, you know, that's, that's Mm. your represents you. Um, and they tend to transition pretty quickly. They, you know, it takes a special horse to 
really train those young puppies because, um, you know, at three or four months old, when they're meeting horses, they might hang from a tail. They might think mm. that, oh. you know, they want, they want to smell their feet, you know, yeah. and a good horse is going to stand there from it. And okay. I've had those good horses that those puppies can hang from their tail and they keep wow. walking and it's not a big deal. Um, <laughs> wow. but we really try to I, discourage yeah. that. So. I could imagine that going very poorly. <laughs> Yeah, they they tend to lose interest pretty quickly because, you know, they're going to go find birds on a horse while I'm riding a horse. Sure. And that's way more exciting than smelling, you know, smelling the backside of the horse. Right. So, um, but you just, you know, you just have to make sure you're riding a horse that's going to be safe um, for those puppies because they do, puppies do puppy things. So we're yeah. just trying to set them up for success. And usually after the first five minutes, they're over the fact that there's a horse involved and they're going to go continue to do what they do, which is explore. Yeah. So, so really, it sounds like a pretty smooth transition. You're, you're, obviously you have your, your walking puppy walks and then you're just doing that same thing and you're, you're hopping on the horse and Mm -hmm. you're kind of acting like it's a, it's a big non-issue, right? Right. We try not to make a big deal of it. And I don't think, um, I've ever really, what's more so overwhelming for a young dog is when you take you and a horse and a dog and now suddenly there's 18 other horses behind me and they're at a field trial and they can be intimidated by that but um you know that that first field trial for a young dog can be overwhelming but you try to do put yourself in a situation where it's not like you know all that at once you try to um introduce them with um, you know, two or three other riders with you with that puppy and then kind of grow from there. But, um, you know, the, the good dogs, the dogs who have kind of learned that there's going to be birds out there, they're going to disregard everything else and just go do what they do. So, um, you know, you just gotta, if you put that foundation into that puppy, they should have zero issue with everything else behind them and just be focused on going forward and hunting. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. I love that. Um, you know, like handling a dog off horseback, you know, anything different there than that'd be different from you if you were on the ground walking? Is, is there going to be a diff- difference of how you, I don't know, how, how you would handle that dog walking or horseback? It's going to be the same same thing pretty much or? Um, I mean, yes and no. I, I'm going to expect the same out of the dog. Like, I'm going to expect the dog to check in and to look for me and everything. But I also know that when I'm on a horse, that dog can see me from a lot further. Um, And I can also... Oh, just because you're so so much higher up? Yep, yep. And I can also um, get kind of a better position in order to handle my dog on a horse in a quicker manner. Whereas if I'm on foot... and I'm in a lower port, like I need to get my butt over to a higher point so that dog can, so I can project my voice in a certain direction quicker Mm -hmm. or the dog can see me quicker. So, I mean, it's, it's a a big advantage to be on a horse. Um, And there's times that we're at a walking trial and somebody has, um, you know, some kind of injury that prevents them from walking. So they're approved to ride a horse or an ATV. And that's really quite the advantage to have, but that's, you know, that's just the way it is. And and at least so they're enable to compete. So, um, you know, pause, we're getting, we're going to get some rain. And um, if it becomes a sound issue, just let me know. Okay. We'll do. We'll do. I'll I'll mute when I'm not talking or when I'm okay all good all good <laughs> no worries this is this is this is low production here i'm in my garage we got all sorts of noises and stuff so all good oh okay good i won't feel too bad <laughs> no don't don't worry um no that is super cool um a couple more things with with the trial side of things before we we move on um 
with the the field trials, have you have you run any other types of field trials, or have you have you only done the AKC stuff? Um, no, I also like do Nestra American like Field. Um, okay. So the American Field, which is now UKC trials, um, but those you know they're they're kind of a different level of trialing. Um, you tend to get. In AKC trials, we're seeing, you know, a lot of the all breed stuff. You'll see short hairs and you'll see Britneys and you'll see Wimes and you'll see Irish setters and English setters and some pointers. Um, when you are in the American field side, you see predominantly white dogs. So pointers with, a, you know, a handful of setters mixed in. So usually when I go to an American field event, I am the only off-colored breed. Um, sometimes, <laughs> you know, my best friend is there and she has an off-breed as well. So okay. we'll be kind of the... the <laughs> Everyone's the like, outsiders. what? Yeah. <laughs> when, when they see us for the first time, they're like, yeah. huh, that's interesting. <laughs> and then they learn that we work yeah. hard and, and play hard. So, um, yeah. but those are really the only two venues I compete in. I've not done Nastra. Um, I've not done Navda. I have okay. a dog that I've bread that's um you know training in navda and working towards um their ut but i myself have not yeah. ever dabbled in that so i'm glad to see my dogs like i hope to have dogs in the nastra world that would be really neat for me and i would sure. be very excited to get the right nastra owner to have one of right. my dogs because i think they yeah. could be competitive sure. um but i don't have time to to do all yeah, of the yeah, things you gotta so, focus on yeah <laughs> Yeah, I mean, with hunting and those those two venues alone, it keeps me very very oh, busy. So. I can only imagine. <laughs> I can only imagine. Um, what is it about the the trial world that that you love so much? Like, what keeps you coming back? And that is just a, a fun component for you. Um, being competitive, like. I've always really been a competitive person, whether it's. Um, you know, who can read this book the fastest or, you know, who can, <laughs> oh, wow. You're who going, can, <laughs> you're taking everything. <laughs> right. Like, um, you know, who, who's the best poker face and, and can play Texas hold, you know, whatever it is, I always want to be competitive. Um, I like to try hard. I like to win. I like to be good at things. So, um, with, with this, it just comes down to like, I like to win. I like to have good dogs who earn, um, earn those wins. So that's really what the trial thing is for me. I just like to compete, but I also like, I mean, I love the people, you know, once mm. I love the friends that I've made in the sport, they're more so family. They've, you know, I spend more time with, with those people than I do with my actual family. And that's, sure. You know, so they're, Sorry, they're my fam, dog but... family, right? <laughs> um, you know, at our wedding, two thirds of my invitation list was people I've met through dogs. And that's mm. just, you know, that's kind of the, enjoyable for me you know and it's um there's just nothing like it and when i can be on a horse which is something that i've always loved as a child and handle my dogs i mean it's just the two best parts of my world yeah all right that's a wrap of part one of our conversation with kelly aiken uh don't go anywhere because next week we'll be dropping part two and we're going to unpack a lot more on trialing uh more of kelly's journey uh into the bird dog worlds and what she looks for um, when picking puppies developing a young bird dog and so much more 
Hey guys, if you're enjoying this podcast, if you enjoyed this conversation or previous episodes, um, make sure, two things, make sure you subscribe to the podcast, whether that's on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, um, and also share it with a friend. Uh, maybe share it on social media and your stories to Facebook or Instagram. You know, And what's one thing that you took away from an episode? Uh, what's something you learned? What's something that uh, maybe inspired you and uh, would love to help get that out there? Uh, it definitely will help grow the show. Um, it might uh, might reach someone who didn't know this was out there um, that could spur them on to uh, take their next step in their upland journey, uh, whether that be something uh, training related with their dogs or uh, just encouraging them to get out there, go put some miles on those boots um, and uh, experience some of the beautiful country uh, that we all get to see. Um, also, leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, there's a star system. There's a little review section would love to uh help get to 200 reviews we are very close and so if you can do that uh, that would be awesome remember part two of this conversation with kelly aiken is coming up next week so we'll talk to you then but until next week go put some miles on those boots and follow your favorite bird dog take care